What's up? Welcome to the Confluence VC podcast. This podcast is meant to give you a personal glimpse into the next era of investors and operators. This week we had on Tasha Kim with Marcy Venture Partners. Marcy invests in consumer businesses and mass market brands that resonate with culture across products and services, media, and technology. Tasha heads up a lot of the firm's sourcing and evaluation efforts, and she also regularly shares her thoughts through her Substack. In this talk, we asked Tasha about her co-authored Consumer Trends Report and the findings from that piece, collaborating on external projects with other investors, Social 3.0 and the ability to influencers, and the intangible value of brand-led communities. Everybody, welcome to the Confluence Podcast. We got one of the nearest and dearest and honestly most intelligent and sweet people I've met in the venture game, Tasha Kim from Marcy Venture Partners in the house. Thank you so much for coming to kick it with us. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. Of course. We're ecstatic to have you. We're really excited for the community to learn more about you. I think you're a real gem. So I'm just going to call you a gem alert. We've been doing this thing called gem alerts. How about this? In two minutes or less, per usual, unless you just want to really give us the deep down secrets or two truths and a lie or something like that, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, and then we can kick things off from there. So I'll just share a little bit about my background. So I have spent my entire life living on the East Coast, and actually, I grew up in a suburb of New York City. My dad was an early employee at Microsoft, so... I really grew up surrounded by technology, and I think that colored a lot of my experiences. Interestingly, my mom actually worked in book publishing, so I had this very interesting experience of having a family that was very enmeshed in technology, but also was doing a lot of research and reading. And so I think that really colored a lot of my interests. The talent I grew up in, most people who lived there worked in finance, but that was actually not my experience. I actually never saw myself becoming an investor, mostly because the people I knew who worked in finance didn't look like me, didn't have my interests. And it always like that. (laughs) It's always like that. And so I think what I know now about venture capital, it makes a lot of sense that it's something that I love and that I'm passionate about. But unfortunately, when I was growing up, it's just not a path that I saw myself pursuing. And I, I didn't think that it would resonate with the interests that I had. But I ended up going to Amherst. I studied environmental science. I've always been interested in the intersection of positive impact and investing. And so when I was thinking about what I wanted to do, combining my interest in technology, innovation, and positive impact, I was really lucky that I had some mentors that directed me towards venture capital. And I spent two years after graduating from college working at a firm called Cambridge Associates, where they work really closely with a number of endowments, pensions, and family offices. And I specifically worked closely on building venture programs for a lot of those clients. And then just the next step after that was I really wanted to go and work directly at a firm. And once I was introduced to the team at Marcy, it just felt like there's so many of those shared values. And honestly, it it really felt like a perfect fit in terms of all of my experience and background and interests and things like that. Beautiful. Yeah, it seems like you and, and the whole team there are really awesome people. And I 100% see how you align. You just all give off a really warm energy. So thank you for that. You want to tell us a bit about Marcy and what you're working on there? Sure. So at Marcy, our strategy, we call it consumer and culture. So we only invest in consumer companies and we're 
very focused on how culture is changing and how that change affects consumer behavior. And so most of our deals are focused in the earlier stages and so really like to partner with companies, be long-term partners for growth. And we invest across subsectors. So anything that falls within the consumer umbrella. I think the thing that was most important to me when I was joining is that positive impact is really at the center of what we do at Marcy. So that could be sustainability, accessibility, empowerment, inclusivity, health and wellness, things like that. And our portfolio companies have to check one of those boxes in order for us to feel comfortable doing the investment. And that's something that really resonated with me on a personal level and also something that I really believe in and, and we as a team believe in as it's just part of our investment thesis in terms of really thinking that companies that are moving the needle and making change are also the ones that are going to be outperformers over the next decade or longer. So with that, you recently put out one of the most viral consumer churn reports in the game with a fellow Amherst alum and one of my childhood best friends, Jay Drain Jr. You want yeah. to talk a little about that, how it came to be, who else you collaborated? Like I know Mark Grace from M13 and some other really great folks helped out on that piece. How'd it come together? What are the trends? And when y'all doing another one? And Confluence be part of it. <laughs> yeah, so Jay is uh, a friend of mine from Amherst. We've become very close friends since joining venture firms at the same time and had been having a lot of conversations around what was happening in the consumer tech ecosystem, what trends we were seeing. It was actually Jay's idea to do the article together. We worked on it for a month. So it actually took us a lot of time to put together. And one of the things that was really interesting is that we think about things in similar ways, but he has ideas that I never would have thought of on my own. And I think that sometimes venture can be more of an isolating job. You tend to work very closely with your team members. Most venture firms are pretty small. And yet there are a lot of people who work at other firms who are doing a very similar job to you. And so I think this was an amazing experience for me to tap into that and work closely with Jay and really get to learn from his thought process and the ideas that he had. So I would definitely recommend if anybody's thinking about doing something collaborative, working with friends at other firms as a personal project, they think in my experience, it was awesome. And I, I couldn't recommend it more to other people. Yeah, I think what you all did was phenomenal and a game changer. And it's something that we've thought about a lot. And we've been thinking about doing it for RPA and FinTech and a few other things, but you all killed that. And I, I aspire to get to your quality level. One question I do have on that is like, you all brought in a few other firms. How did that piece come about? Or like, yeah. you like, like mention some of the people you all worked with? Because I think they're the best in the game and what you, what you all do as well. The way that Jay and I ended up writing the article is we thought about five trends if we had to narrow things down. Like we started with a list of 15 trends that we thought were top trends from 2020 and then ended up just narrowing that down more and more. And so the list that we ended up coming up with was audio as a trend, gaming and immersive environments, sustainability, diversity and inclusion, ed tech, and then the creator and influencer economy. And in thinking about all those pieces, we, we felt like we had a good understanding of what had been happening in those spaces, but we also felt like we had friends who were really domain experts. So a good example is Leah, who works at Primary Ventures, is really the gaming expert. I can't think of somebody who knows gaming better than Leah does, 
And so my first thought was, if I'm going to publish something that includes gaming, I need Leah to review it beforehand. And I yeah. absolutely I don't want to embarrass myself. And also her opinion is one that I really respect. And so we ended up asking Faye from Unshackled Ventures, Leah from Primary, Mark Grace from M13, Leah Fessler from Nextview, and Gabby Goldberg from Bessemer to be editors and, and review before we launched. And they all have unique perspectives. And Jay and I really worked closely to put the article together, but they were like the cherry on top in terms of, of really wrapping everything together and adding a lot of good insight and ideas as well. That's beautiful. Yeah, we love all those people. We for Gabby, was that was that this week, Clay, for us? Yeah, that went out that went out yesterday. Yeah, so she uh, she was the the person right before you on the Confluence podcast. She has a lovely personality and is brilliant. She's and everyone else. Mark was also on here, but everyone that you named, just amazing people. But it makes sense because you're amazing and birds of a feather walk together on that, that little corny saying. <laughs> but okay, let's see. On that note, I want to do a quick uh, groundbreaker because I've heard you've been doing a lot of thoughts and research into social, what is it, social 3.0 and also the evolution of TikTok. You want to talk about some of the frameworks that, you, that you've been putting together? Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. So I didn't invent this term, but it's one that I feel like I built more of a framework around and that's social media 3.0. And I've always been really interested in social media in general, how things are evolving. And I started to feel like in 2020 that something had radically changed in terms of the way that people were interacting online and especially what was happening with social media platforms. And I felt like we were entering a new chapter, which I called social media 3.0. And I was thinking about social media 1.0 as being the early days of the internet. So you could think about early blogs on the internet, things like MySpace, Friendster, AOL Instant Messaging. And really one of the things that I was thinking about with that is that it was mostly people that you already knew, people who were already in your friend networks. You knew these people from real life experiences. And it was pretty one dimensional in terms of how you interacted with people online. And then social media 2.0 maybe starts with something like Facebook where you're starting to interact with a broader number of people. You're sharing photos and videos online. It's more dynamic, it's more immersive. But things like Instagram and Snapchat, it's some of the first times that you're really interacting with brands online and influencers. So it's pushing you outside of your immediate social circle. But I think TikTok is probably one of the best examples of what social media 3.0 looks like because most of your interactions are happening with people outside of your immediate friend circle. And it's completely immersive. And we went from a desktop native experience to a mobile first experience, but TikTok is really different because of how immersive it is. I don't, anybody who spent time on TikTok, maybe it's just me, but I feel like my phone goes from 100% battery to 0% battery and I don't even realize that the time has passed. It's just crazy how much it sucks you in. And so I was thinking a lot about how brands operate on TikTok and what value there is for them to unlock on it. And I think there is a lot of value and I think it's become a really meaningful place for companies that are launching and also for established companies to develop deeper relationships with their customers and their user bases. And so there's a number of examples um, that I started thinking about, but 
I just felt like more people needed to understand how powerful TikTok was as a platform. And so I ended up writing a blog post about this. And I think like the end result is that I had some amazing conversations with people who are also noticing the same trends. And I've started to see even more brands and companies establish a presence on TikTok, which I think is absolutely moving in the right direction. And it's probably only going to become more popular and more prevalent in the future. Yo, I really, I have a deal that I'm looking at right now that I need your expertise on. Give me five minutes after this. We could be something to collaborate on or <laughs> like to fuck off or screw off on, but I'll delete that. <laughs> something that you tell me to, to pass on, but you sound brilliant on this topic. I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, for sure. Let's chat. Last thing is you all included a lot of interesting companies in your report and just generally like always pushing some of the highest quality deal flow around the valley. I'm curious as to how exactly you all evaluate consumer companies. There's so many metrics. There's so many ways to, to cut the pie. And that's, I've seen a lot of different methodologies. How are you all looking at that? Yeah. So in terms of the way that I think about evaluating consumer companies, I think there are specific metrics that most investors and especially consumer investors care about. Everybody's looking at LTV to CAC ratios, everybody cares about your total addressable market, all of that. But I think what really gets me excited about consumer companies is more of an intangible factor. And I just think it's how they connect with their customers and what kind of experience that is. I guess you could call it customer joy, but it's just like, why would a customer want to choose your brand and how are you making them feel? And there are so many good examples of companies that kind of have this intangible factor. Oftentimes I think it looks like being a part of a community. Peloton is an example of an amazing consumer company that's really fostered a strong sense of community and I think is one of the reasons why it has become so valuable and has grown so quickly. And I just think like there the companies that are really creating joyful experiences are the ones that are going to stand out over, I don't know, the next few years, the next decade, whatever. And that's what I look for and what we look for at Marcy. And it's something that's hard to describe, but oftentimes it's something that you feel and you feel it as an investor and you feel it as a consumer. I totally agree. I remember at point seventy two. whoa. I remember at Point72, we did both Mirror and Peloton. And at the time, there was literally articles about like why people didn't think that Mirror made sense. And we're like, no, like you got to just, you, you got to just see it. But yeah, you're spot on with them. And it ended up being a really good return. You probably would have saw that. If I would have known you at the time, I would have called you and got a lot of confidence. <laughs> okay, so I think on my end, I've asked you way too many questions. And I would love it if Clay could take over from here. Clay, you want to come in and, and do some quick fire rounds? or uh... Yeah, mop cool. up duty. So Tasha, we do these at the end. We tell everyone they're meant to be. We do these quick questions meant to be answered in two minutes or less, or sorry, two sentences or less. We've never hit that goal. So like, don't feel bad if you go over the two sentence mark. It's just a framework that we try to rely on. Anyway, first question we have is, what is a recommendation you hear regularly that you think is bad advice? I think there's a lot of pressure in general to do things that have some kind of a clear professional link to what your job is or what you want your job or your career to be. 
I hear a lot of people talk about reading specific professional books or podcasts, networking, being active on Twitter. And I, I think those are all really helpful things, but I would also encourage people to do the things that they are passionate about. And I think when you're passionate about something, it will feed into the professional work that you're doing. I personally am really passionate about art history. It's something I've always been interested in. I didn't realize it until I started this job, but a lot of art history is creating frameworks of what you've seen in the past to help you understand what you're seeing at the present. And I think that's a lot of being an investor. It's that level of pattern recognition. And this could look different for everybody in terms of what your hobby or your interests are. But I would just encourage people to lean into that, not worry so much about always focusing on things that feel like they only have professional meaning. Have you ever connected with Cheryl at Republic? Not yet. You should, because she's, Cheryl came on a couple months ago. And she's like, I'm going to be an actress. I'm going to be a model. And like on the side, I'm going to do this whole venture stuff. But the whole time she's just, yeah, I'm just following what I'm passionate about. I think everything else just fits into place. I think you and her would hit it off. Well, cool. That was, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll follow up after this. That was great. So next question we have is in the last year, what new belief, behavior, habit has most improved your life? So one of the things I started doing last year was I started seeing a therapist and I am mentioning it because I think it's important to be transparent about mental health. And I realized that being more intentional about my own mental health and having resources to help me also just helped me do my job better professionally. So that's one thing that I did, which has just paid enormous dividends and, and been really helpful. Love it. Yeah, I feel like it's good to see more people being more transparent about some of the issues like that. I feel like in the last five, 10 years, a lot of people have kept all that bottled up rather than just being open and honest about it. So that's awesome. Next question we have, aside from having to say no all the time, what is the worst part about venture? So I've listened to a lot of other guests on Confluence and I know people have said this before, but I'll just mention it because I feel like it's true to my experience as well. Venture, working venture can feel very isolating sometimes. It can feel lonely. Most venture firms are very small. You work with a small group of people and a lot of the work is solo work where you're doing research or meeting with companies on your own. For me, I think that has been more challenging, especially in a COVID environment. But one of the most amazing things, I think, since joining Venture is having met so many friends at other firms. And I have been able to create a community, other young investors who, like I text them all the time, like we're in constant communication. And it has really helped me feel like there's a sense of community. And I feel a sense of community internally at Marcy, for sure. It's been an amazing experience to have this sense of external community as well. 100%. Totally agree with that. I think Tyler and I both talked about this a lot when we were starting out. Like, pretty isolating role, having a community to tie people together. In these isolated roles, would help facilitate some of that and help alleviate this role of loneliness. That was, like, part of the thesis of our community. But no, that's, that's a good answer. I got two more here. So... As you probably know, a lot of this audience skews to analyst associate level. What's your best piece of advice for junior VCs or those aspiring to break into venture? So I was thinking about this one, and I think my biggest piece of advice is focus on quality over quantity. So in terms of building your network, I definitely think having a network 
coming into a job like this is really helpful and often it's an unlocked source for you. Sometimes there can be pressure to try to meet a lot of people. I think what's more important is to be thoughtful and patient and build relationships over a period of time. And so you become really close with people, people become your mentors and eventually sponsors. And I would also say that probably translates in terms of learning new things. So focusing on the quality of stuff that you're reading and really being intentional and thinking deeply in, in areas that are interesting to you and not giving into the feeling like you have to be covering all the news at all at any time. So that's probably my main piece of advice. 100%. I think the 24-7 news cycle is objectively bad for society. Focus on quality pieces of work that aren't just keeping up with top news events is very good advice. Totally agree with it. All right, last question here. We do this at the end. Are there any mentors, could be one, could be multiple, that you'd want to give credit to? Yeah, I actually have three, but I'll try to go quickly. Two of my mentors are people I worked with in my old job at Cambridge Associates, and that's Kenneth Tom and Francisco. And both of them are incredible people. I think one of the ways I want to give them a specific shout out is because I feel like they treat people like people. And sometimes that can be rare in terms of working in a professional environment, but I always felt like they saw me as a person first before being like an employee or a colleague and things like that. Um, and they are people that I really look up to and have a lot of respect for. And then my third person is Charlie Hanna, who I work with at Marcy. Charlie is awesome. Charlie is amazing. And just every day I feel so lucky to learn from him. Hard skills. And I also think Charlie has really amazing soft skills in terms of his ability to communicate with other people and build relationships. I shadow him on a lot of calls and he's just an absolute genius. And so I feel really lucky. Love it. Love it. Last piece. Can we flip the script? Uh, yeah. Yeah. We're trying to do a better job of this. So I feel like we've just asked you a ton of questions because we haven't allowed you to return oh, the favor. Yeah, being unfair for not letting Yeah. You. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not so transactional of us just like asking you question after question. Do you have any questions that you would want to ask us so we can play the role of interviewee? I want to know what's next. Confluence was one of the things that helped me the most when I was joining Venture. I think so many friends like their sense of community but i'm always excited to hear what you guys have planned with upcoming projects tyler you want to answer yeah we got a lot of stuff cooking right now what we want to do is start to increase the ability for people to to both get deal flow and then turn their existing portfolios into deal flow for other people so we want people on confluence which are building a system to like pretty much automate this be able to submit all of their portfolio companies that are raising or going to be raising out to the relevant deal channels just by submitting a pretty short form so that they can then receive email or a note of interest from that person where they can then decide whether or not they want to introduce their portfolio company to. Because effectively, the, a big part of our job as venture investors is to continuously get more money into the doors of our prior investments to diversify one, the ability to support companies, but two, the risk, if we're being honest. <laughs> being able to, for any category you're looking at, automatically send your best portfolio companies, your portfolio companies that are raising out to a list of 300 tier one investors or maybe 
you only consider 30 of those people to be tier one and getting a sense of how much the market's interested or more importantly, making introductions to five to six investors by just filling out one form makes our jobs a lot easier. So that's one thing that we're putting together. Another thing we're putting together is uh, I can't name drop just like, uh, so one thing we're putting together is a, is a clubhouse and we'll be working with some pretty big names in tech, hopefully to bring up emerging managers, emerging investors, relevant founders of the week. And uh, in addition to that founders who've done big things and then just have open discussions along with all of the top folks in the industry on, on top of clubhouse and hopefully use people in Confluence to, to bring their best portfolio companies and entrepreneurs onto that stage as well. Also the members of Confluence really just continuing to build our community. And uh, I think that those are the two key initiatives. The last piece we talked about a little bit earlier, which is just the co-author, uh, co-author papers. I talked to Jay and saw what you all did and just thought, wow, no one's broken that barrier before. And I promise you, we will not do consumer unless you tell us to, or you want to do it. But we want to do that for some other categories, just to really just create a community of collaboration. That's the whole point of this, to make love and family a uh, priority within venture communities. So that's pretty much all there is for us, at least for the next quarter. <laughs> that's amazing. I'm so excited for that to come out and especially excited to read those pieces when they have been written collaboratively. They take time. I, I, that's, I was genuinely curious as to how you did it. Yeah, it took us, we worked on it for over a month on a Google Doc together. And it was, it was a pretty time intensive process, but I think it was worthwhile. And I know Jay is a huge proponent of this, of encouraging people to share writing and write down their thoughts. And I've talked to Gabby about this as well. For me, it's been helpful. I think a lot of the thoughts that I have just live in my brain. And I don't always realize how they fit together until I start writing them down. So it was a lot of work, but I think ultimately it was really valuable because at least for me personally, it helped me to crystallize a lot of the ideas that I had. hundred percent. I think, yeah, I, I wish I would write more because I think it just makes you think a lot more clearly and articulate your words. But yeah, we were both really impressed with a lot of Gabby's work um interested in digging into more of that on last week's episode so i feel like she spent a lot of time doing deep dives on different sector trends it gets your name out there allows you to to speak more clearly on different topics and provides value to a lot of the, the readers of it i mean like a lot of her pieces and a lot of other people's pieces like i still rely on them today to conceptualize my own thoughts around things so i think that all makes sense most definitely with that I know we've technically run over our time and you're a very important person with important time that cannot be wasted. So I'm going to take more of your time after this to ask you questions about this company. But thank you so much for coming to kick it with us. Tasha, you are amazing, a great friend, great investor, and someone who's going to be at the top of this industry very fast. So it's an honor to have you before it's hard to reach you. Thank you guys so much for having me on the podcast. Um, so excited to be here. Um, always so excited and happy to chat with both of you. Huge thanks again to Tasha for coming on this week, and we hope that each of you are able to pick up something valuable from this talk. If you'd like to get connected with Tasha, we've linked her Twitter, Substack, and other links to her writing below. 
for next steps. If you're an investor and have not already signed up to join, we encourage you to check out our website at www.confluence.vc to submit your info to become a member. If you have any feedback for us, please feel free to reach out directly either to Tyler at tyler at gpv.com or myself at clay at muckercapital.com. Hope to hear from you all soon.